I think the idea of creating your own reality is possible. And I know because I've done it. And I think what's really cool is once you see somebody that's done something, then you know it's possible. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately, how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Ashley Stockton. Ashley is the founder and CEO of Sunday Forever, a lifestyle brand based in New York. She describes Sunday Forever as your good vibes, one-stop shop, where she offers a curated selection of things to evoke that Sunday morning relaxation feeling. From kimono-style robes to candles, sage and lighter sets, crystals and bracelets. It is literally every single thing that I've ever dreamed of. I'm obsessed with this brand and every single thing about it makes me just so happy. The idea for Sunday Forever came to Ashley while she was working at Victoria's Secret for over a decade, where she felt a chronic feeling of the Sunday scaries. And for those of you who don't know what the Sunday scaries are, first of all, major congrats because the majority of people absolutely know what that is and feel it. But for those of you who don't know, it's when you get major anxiety on Sunday nights for the week ahead. But she explains that she was actually feeling this every single day and had anxiety about even just getting to the office. One day, Ashley decided to take the leap of faith and invested her savings of $25,000 to create Sunday Forever. And she's never taken a dollar from outside investment since. Since the launch, Ashley and Sunday Forever have been featured in Forbes, Domino, Pop Sugar, Well and Good, Refinery29, Allure, and so many others. On today's episode, we talk about the confusing feeling of having a quote-unquote dream job, but still feeling entirely unhappy and unfulfilled. Feeling fearful of leaving a stable paycheck and fancy title, but also knowing that all the money in the world will not fill the gap of a job that is not filling your soul. Saying what you want out loud as the first step in making it happen. Doing something to feel less stuck and discover what excites you. And consistently feeding your mind and your soul. So with that, let's get into today's episode with Ashley Stockton. All right. So I am here with Ashley, the founder of Sunday Forever, which is a brand that I am obsessed with. She brought me a little bag of goodies and I cannot wait to get into. But thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, so quick, really funny story. Mm-hmm. Before I started my company, I wanted to start a company called Domi, which is Domingo in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be like all about relaxation products. And I never did it. It was with my best friend and I never did it. And this company now exists, which is exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. So we're on the same wavelength Love because it. Sunday is my favorite day of the week. Hence why I wanted to call it Domi. But, um, it's literally everything that I ever wanted. So Makes me happy. Yeah. So I always start the podcast asking people what they were like as kids from what you remember or from what your parents say of what you were like. I just want to get an idea of what little Ashley was like. Oh, man. (laughs) Little weirdo. Um, Well, I was an only child. My mom had me when she was very, very young. So I 
essentially raised myself. Um, I was alone a lot. I like to say that I was a latchkey kid. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's what helped with my imagination. Um, I was born and raised in Louisiana. So I heard a little accent. Yeah, just a little (laughs) bit. Um, But there was not a lot to do. So I was outside a lot, running around, just kind of using my imagination to, I don't know, make my own little dream world when I was little. Did you ever have like an entrepreneurial itch? Yeah, I did. Like, I think because I wasn't raised with a ton of money, I always wanted it. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, I worked a lot. So I worked from the time I was 13 um, doing different things. So I worked at the baseball park and the concession stand. I worked at my mom's office, like filing and whatever during the summers, like 40 hours a week. I was serious. I was like a serious ass 12 year old. (laughs) Seriously. First of all, is that legal? No, (laughs) completely illegal child labor. Uh, But I wanted to make money. And then I remember, I've never told this story before, but I wrangled three of my best friends when we were probably 14 to start a cleaning company uh, that we called, I named it Sweeping Beauties. (laughs) Stop. That's the cutest thing <laughs> yeah. I've ever heard. And I and we combined our uh the time that we started making our beds to equate to 30 years experience. And <laughs> <laughs> and then we put flyers all over town. I'm dead. And we got like our first job. And of course, like I wanted to spend all the money on cute uniforms. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. And, and people would hire you and you would go we, into we random did it, people's houses? We, well, we did it once. And then it was like a <laughs> lot of work. you were 13. <laughs> that. And we were like, eh, this is kind of a lot of work. Let's uh, hit the bricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that, that went away. But, yeah, I always kind of wanted to do something more than what I saw around me, I think. What was your inspiration? Like, were you around people that had more or were you watching or reading things that kind of expanded mm-hmm. your mindset a little bit? What What was it that was kind of that drive? I think so. And um, so my mom and dad were never together. And um, I think that, you know, there were more means on his end, but... I lived with my mom. And I think it's also the South. And so, you know, I don't think that I had any friends whose parents weren't together. And I I was like the oddball. And so I think I felt like, oh, like this isn't normal. And I want, I want that. And I'm not sure where I got my taste level from because my mom is not like a shopper or anything like that, but I have very vivid memories of like being able to name gowns on the red carpet at like nine and 10 years old and wanting the September issue, like at the Piggly Wiggly, like, and where did I even get that from? No clue. But, and meanwhile, like, I don't give a shit about fashion today. Like I clearly. But still, it like speaks to your taste level. Generally. Yeah, I think I was yeah. curious. I think I was like, wow. But, you know, um, there there was definitely something in me that wanted more. What did you want to study? I'm no, assuming nothing. That- <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, everyone in your school, I'm, I'm assuming in the South, goes mm-hmm. to college or thinks oh, yeah. about going to college. Of course. What did you think that you wanted to be or, or did you just say no from the get-go? No, I knew I had to go because well, just, well, yeah, I think it's like you don't know any different. I was always a little different than I think everyone around me. But I think when it came to school, it was just like, that's what you do. You mm-hmm. graduate and then you go to college. Um, I definitely opted to go to a, like a sort of like a less serious college. Like all of my friends went to LSU. I went to, I went to FSU. So okay. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that was like, whoa, that seems like serious. And I don't even want to do this, but I have to. So I went to a different school. It's um, called Southeastern Louisiana University. It was great, but I didn't learn. I mean, I don't think I learned anything. I majored in psychology because I thought, okay, my family's crazy. Maybe this will be. <laughs> You're helpful. So funny. <laughs> and so funny. and I minored in marketing, but I think I always had a and I still do. I'm very curious about people like sitting across from you. I want to sit and ask you like a million questions <laughs> and it's like killing me that I can't. <laughs> like, I much rather talk uh to other people and learn about them than to talk about myself. But we're here to talk about <laughs> me. So let's do this thing. <laughs> Well, I really, I went to FSU. I'm a psychology major and a minor in communication. Wow. So pretty Same. similar. Very. Also, hence why I have this podcast, love asking people questions. Yeah. So I'm the lucky one today. You sure are. <laughs> um, so a degree in psychology, what did you think that you wanted to do? I dabbled with the idea of, um, you know, taking it to the next level and being a therapist. And But then I was like, oh, shit, that's like more school. Mm-hmm. No, thanks. I'm good. I want to work. And the entire time I was in college, I had a full-time job. I Did you pay for your own college? I did. And I moved out of my house when I was 17. I had a car and apartment. I mean, I was fully adulting at 17. It was like when I think back, it's kind of wild, yeah. but I was I doing that. that. Yeah. And yeah, I had a full-time job. I was um, managing a store in the mall. I had a staff. What store? Do we know it? You do. It was a Victoria's Secret beauty store. So in the mall that I worked in, the lingerie was separate from the beauty products. Mm -hmm. And so it was that store. And that's where, you know, I mean, it's great because that's where my entire life sort of start, like started my career. Um, But when I think back, you know, about like what I did while studying, it's and, a lot. And driving 45 minutes each way. And yeah, it's kind of... So you've uh, got the hustle down for sure. Yeah, definitely there's drive for sure. Yeah. Okay. So why New York and how did you get to New York? What was your thought process? Did you want to live here forever? Mm-hmm. So I visited um, the first time when I was eight or nine. And I think I knew right away, like, I want to live here, you know. But, you know, a lot of people say that. And I said that in my mind. But then, of course, it's like, how is that ever going to happen? And it just sort of did. Um, And so the way that I ended up living here fully is the job that I mentioned before. That was sort of coming to an end because I was getting ready to graduate. And I thought, okay, it's time to get like a real big girl job. And my district manager at the time um told me that there was like an opportunity to interview at the corporate office in New York. 
So I did that. I flew up. I interviewed. Uh, I was so nervous. Oh my god! I mean, and just to think about what, what did was, you wear? I was, I was just gonna say, God, to think <laughs> of what I must have worn. I probably like got like a business suit. You're so cute. I, I don't know at the mall and like I mean, tried on a million different. Who things. knows? I bet I went to like I don't know something dumb. <laughs> embarrassing. I was probably wearing like the editor pant from Express. Do you remember that? so cute, of course. I'm just like thinking, (laughs) oh my, I wish I remembered. Anyway, so I, I did that. I flew to New York. They put me up at a hotel. I went in, I interviewed the next day all day long. And then I flew back and a couple weeks later, I got an offer. And was that the job that you stuck with the whole time or did you bounce around? No, 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 no. You stayed. The job that I got was super entry level. I always say like whatever is entry level is like below that. Mm -hmm. And this is like crazy, okay? Because think about it. I'm in the middle of fucking no. Can I curse? Yeah, of course. Of nowhere, Louisiana, doing my thing. And I get this opportunity. And I could have. And by the way, at the time, my boyfriend lived in L.A. Whole other ball of wax, but. Um, so that boyfriend's not your husband. (laughs) No, he's not. He's still a friend, but he's not my husband. Um, and, uh, I, I, I countered their offer. With what? Just more of everything. Okay. So you negotiated. Like, did you have another offer or? I completely negotiated. And I remember like being in the backyard of my mom being like, I'm not, I'm going to ask for more. (laughs) Like whatever. Like so crazy. And, uh, and they, they, they said, okay. And they sent like movers to pack up all my things. And Question about why you negotiated. Were you, was it out of fear? Cause you were like, I don't know if I can accept this. And I'm going to say something crazy to see if they do. And if they do, then I'll have to do it. Or was it just that you were like, I'm worth more than this? No, I think it was like, I did the math and I thought, okay, like I did my research okay. and I think I looked at like, okay, what is rent in New York? Like, what am I going to need? And um, clearly it's in Manhattan, a lot more expensive than <laughs> where I'm from. Yeah. I think I did the math and I thought, okay, if, in order for me to be comfortable, I need this amount of money. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely strategic. And I also think that there's something in me that always likes to kind of fuck shit up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, There's like a little bit of like a... Like a nudge. A, re- a rebellious kind of, but very minimal. But I think that, that that probably had something to do with it too. Let's just see, you know? Yeah. Maybe. So they accepted and you moved to New York. Yes, I did. Where did you live when oh you moved? God, I, I remember. They set me up with um, this realtor to take me around and like show me places. I had no idea where I was. That's the thing about New York. When you come and you've never been here, you're like, where the hell even am I? Right. Um, That's cool that they do that. It was a whole thing. It was like unbelievable. doesn't exist anymore, I don't think, in the world. But like the way that the whole thing went down, it was like a fairy tale. And so um, I ended up landing on a place on the Upper East Side, like 86th in York. I had no idea where I was, and I haven't been there since. (laughs) I lived there for like a year, and I was like, okay, now I get it. And yeah, yeah, here I am 16 years later. Wow. Yeah. 
What was the thought process for you to leave your hometown? Like, were you kind of like, I'm going to do it and never look back? Or were you thinking more so, I'm going to try this out for a year and see yeah, how I, I feel? I kind of, I knew that I needed to, and like I said, the, the same feeling that I felt as, as like a child, I think that that just started to grow more as I started to get to know myself more as an adult. And I think I knew I just wanted more out of life and I didn't know what that meant. So I thought, okay, this is a huge opportunity. I'm going to go for it. Like, what's the worst that can happen? I can always move back. And, you know, for sure, the first six months of living in the city by myself, I cried like a baby. And I called my mom and was like, I want to come home. She's like, come on, baby. It's okay. <laughs> and like, you know what I mean? And, and you know, I vividly remember the first time. Even going to the grocery store when you live in New York is so different. You know, you're lugging like 30 pounds of groceries, like 18 blocks, and you're like, what the hell? And then, of course, it's going to start raining, and you don't know where you are. It's just a the whole thing. The bags break. It's a whole thing. You have to stop and, it's like, stretch your arms. It's just a whole thing. It's not yeah. pulling up to the Target in no. the car. And yeah. It's funny you mentioned that every time I go home to Miami, my mom's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I literally want to get in the car. Go to Target. Go to Publix, which is like the, uh-huh. the grocery store yep. of the South of Miami. Yeah. I guess you guys have it too, right? No, no? we have a, a Weg. No, we have a. I don't know. It's Whatever. been so long. Something. We had, there's another fancy. I'm like, one. we got to go to Publix. I want to do groceries and put it in the car and listen to the radio. Yeah. And go to Chili's. All- <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to do. Exactly. Well, I think that what you touched on is really important, which is the what do I have to lose mentality, right? Like in your case, thank God you have an amazing mom that you can fall back on. But like in any situation that anyone is in for the majority of people, because I don't think a lot of people that are listening to this podcast um, have absolutely nothing. I don't think that, I think that if you have a phone that you're listening to this on, you probably have some form of thing to fall back on. I think that that's just such a powerful thing to have. Where did that come from from you that you had that kind of... I think it's a gift. I, I, I don't think like... Yes, of course, I could have gone back to my, but but it wasn't even like in a financial way or I didn't really have a lot. I when you say I didn't, ha- I I didn't have a lot to lose. Like I I had nothing to lose, and I think that's a gift. Mm-hmm. Like I think that I I think that anyone who comes from any type of adversity, which I definitely did, like. There's a hundred things that happened in my childhood that are not um, the norm. It, it, you know, wasn't like a, a fairy tale childhood. So, but I think all the things that I went through made me have the courage to be like, "Let's go. What have I got to lose? Let's just go." And so, I think sometimes when people have a, a safety net, that can kind of be not the not the greatest thing mm-hmm. because it can make you. Uh, you know, a little more skittish. Now I feel like you, and we're going to get into the whole trajectory of how you got here, but now you are in a place where you definitely do have something to lose. Do you feel like you have an amazing company, you have an amazing husband, you have three beautiful dogs, one sitting in front of us. You've built this beautiful fairy tale that you wanted for yourself. So anyone would say you do have things to lose now. Mm -hmm. Does that paralyze you into making new decisions for yourself? Or do you think that that is still in you so deeply that that's kind of your driving force still? No, it's in me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not afraid, but it took a lot of work. Uh, I 
think therapy is like the most amazing thing. I've been in therapy for for at least 15 years. I, I think in doing a lot of work on myself and my mindset and just like the way that I view the world, what I want out of the world, what I want it want as a human being. And like, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I mean, yes, of course, like anything can happen, but like, that's also life. And I always think about how many people have it way worse than me. I'm grateful. And, um, you know, I, I would hate to lose anything, of course, but I know how strong I am because if I look at my track record, I've always bounced back. And that's something that one of my therapists that uh, said to me in the past when I was really going through it at my previous position. And I was just so afraid and full of anxiety. And, you know, and she said to me, look at your track record. (laughs) You've not failed. You've not fallen on your face. You've not done anything terrible up until this point. Why would you do something like that now? And that gave me so much comfort. And I still think about that to this day. And I share that with people as much as I can. Because, you know, it's so valuable. Yeah. And if you if you look back, history does repeat itself. So let's go back to your job. (laughs) So you moved here. You were kind of getting the understanding of New York, going to the grocery store 18 (laughs) blocks away from your apartment Mm -hmm. and walking the groceries back. Totally lonely. No, totally lonely. Okay. So how long were you in that position for? And a question kind of back to what we were just talking about. Did you ever feel when you were kind of like in the anxious state working there that leaving there would put you back at square one? Sorry, that was a loaded question, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. But way later, okay. like when I started there, you know, I was like, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to go. And it was a gift that my boyfriend lived across the country. I didn't have it. I had nothing. So but so that made me able to laser focus on my job. It's not like I was like going out and partying. It was like crickets. Mm-hmm. So all I did was work and work really hard. Even at the job that I was doing, which was like, again, like basic entry-level kind of communications type mm-hmm. work. Um but I work so hard and I put my head down that I think when you do that, the right people notice. And I knew immediately that the job that I was doing wasn't what I really wanted to do. It wasn't like lighting me up. There was no passion, no creativity. I wasn't close to product. So I think that um, once uh, other people, other senior people in the company started to notice that I was doing a really good job, then the other opportunities started to come. What was the what was the actual first job? What were you doing? So the entry level yeah. job, it was in communication. So it was a corporate communication. So I would be communicating like with the store staff back to the operations team. It was a it was a lot of tedious kind of operational work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't care. I was like, whatever, let's sure I'll do it. Let's do yeah. it. And um I remember I even like implemented programs to make the the job easier and the processes better. Like I went above and beyond. So it wasn't like I was just doing the job. Mm -hmm. I was doing the job, but also like setting things in place that made it easier for other people to do the job, Um, which is something that I still do to this day, which is interesting. I haven't thought about that in a while, but- You do um, it at your own company? Yeah. And I think I've done it my entire career. And I think that that's why I- 
rose up the ranks so quickly. Um, it, it's because I never just did the job. I did the job and then some. Love it. So what was the next step up? So like I said, I knew I wanted to be closer to the creative process and the product. So the next step was in retail marketing. So that's more where it's like a merchant, merchandising Mm -hmm. role, kind of like a buyer. So you look at the product, the shelving, the merchandising, you look more at the numbers and the sales and the, the turn rate, all that stuff, which I hated. Yeah, but so valuable for what you're doing now. Oh my gosh, forget about it. It's like, yeah, you need to know that stuff. So I did that for three years, and I think I got promoted uh, once or twice in that role. And then after that, I moved into a role, again, just getting closer to the product. I want to get close to the product. I want to, like, have an impact. So then I moved into a role called brand development, um, and I worked on all of the fragrances. So brand development is a really cool role because you're essentially – kind of like the hub and all the other departments kind of float around you. Mm -hmm. So you're in control or or you're overseeing or working with all the other departments to create the product and bring it to launch. So that was awesome. How long were you in that role for? I was probably, I'd have to do the math, four, three or four years and again, promoted a couple times. Damn. Yeah. So it was 10 years that you were there. 12. Wow. First of all, that's unheard of. <laughs> yeah. For anyone to stay at a job for t- for 12 years, that's crazy. I mean, nowadays even worse, but like even then. It's, it's wild. Crazy. And I think that, you know, there were definitely moments within those 12 years where I thought about leaving and even kind of tried to. But I think, you know, when you're at a big company and they don't want to to let you go, there's a lot of things that can be done to make sure you stay. Right. (laughs) And I was like, okay. So I want to get into the psyche of when you started feeling like it wasn't fulfilling you anymore. How long? Just because the point of the podcast is for someone who was in your shoes, you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe they're feeling it, maybe five months that they've been feeling it or two years or whatever. I want to understand exactly when you started feeling it. Did it ebb and flow? Like, did they come back to you with an amazing offer and then it kept you happy for three months? Totally. Those those type of things I'd love to hear. Yeah, for sure. So I think there was always an underlying sense of I'm not supposed to be in a big corporate environment, right? Like deep within me, I knew that. But what was so attractive to me being, you know, given my background is like, it felt safe and secure. And I was getting everything that I thought I always wanted. Security, praise, like you're doing a great job, all the money, all the things, right? And so I think, you know, there were, it was a constant question in the back of my mind, but it really hit its peak during my final role at the company. And what ended up happening is that they created a new department that was designed for me. It didn't exist. And it was called Creative Concept. And I was able to basically write the job description and staff it. And they paid me a lot of money. And I traveled the world and I looked for ideas. And then we would present them back to the company 
and they would then launch in a three to four year, three to five year pipeline. So I know it sounds right. That's exactly (laughs) what everybody's. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like you think, but I think like as you get higher up and higher up in a company and a big corporate company, um, you know, you, 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 you get more exposure to everything. And, um, you know, I think, it, it it wasn't something that I was prepared prepared for in my soul. Like exposure to what, for example? Every I mean, you know, very high level meetings, the mm-hmm. highest level of executives in the company. It just was like you really get to understand how the politics of a big corporate company can work. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> I don't know about this. You know what I mean? Because I think, you know. I I wasn't I was looking for something that I I loved and wanted to do and wanted to feel accomplished but but all the money in the world can't really fill that gap when it's not connecting with your soul. And so I think probably the the last year, maybe year and a half before I left is when it really started to dawn on me. I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what did you feel exactly? And and were you every single day going into the office and being like, I don't want to be here? Like, were you being proactive at looking at other jobs or did you already know that it was time for you to start your own thing? On Sundays, that's when it would hit me like a ton of bricks. And I always say there's nothing like a Sunday at 5 p.m. to look at yourself and be like, holy shit, why am I feeling this way? I've got my, like you just said, dream job, everything I could possibly want, but I am riddled with anxiety and dread and fear of the week to come, the unknown. Um, And that's where the whole idea of Sunday Forever came from. And you know, this is even before the term Sunday scaries existed. So no one was really talking about it. This is like early or 2014. So like, you know, I felt I, I would talk about it with some of my coworkers and I knew a lot of people felt that way, but in the world, it wasn't really being discussed. So that's when the seed of Sunday forever started to form. And, uh, and that's, that that's when I decided to make a plan with my husband. And I had to say it out loud. And that was really scary. How did he take it? Terribly. Really? Yeah. Does he have a secure job? He works in the music industry. And, you know, he does really well now. He's got um, more security, I would mm-hmm. say. But at the time, let's see how many years ago, five years or six years ago, I was the primary breadwinner. I was, was like, crazy, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I think we had to like really think and discuss and talk about how are we going to do this? We had just started to close on our first apartment. And so he was like, oh shit. So I really had to, to get, to get him to where I needed him to be. Mm -hmm. And he did. Uh, but it took some doing because I'm in my head. Like, So when you came to him, did you have like a business plan no. <laughs> prepared? Did you have like an idea of what your bottom line would be? How much it would cost you? Nothing. LOL. Nothing. Zero. I still don't. <laughs> You're so funny. I fly by the seat of my pants. Same, same. <laughs> no, not at all. I just, you know, I think, 
I uh, no, I didn't have anything. All I knew was like I gotta go. I gotta go. I, I Again, got. You gotta I go. gotta go. And you keep gotting to go. I keep <laughs> gotting to go. And so we we decided. All right, let's save. Really, really save for a year. We already had, you know, a decent amount, and I'm grateful because that's the thing. I know, listen, I had a job that allowed me to save a good amount of money and to have a nest egg. Not everybody has that. So I I know that. I acknowledge that. I also have, you know, a husband who, I mean, he wasn't like a rich guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just not. But even like the moral support also of having someone. Yeah, but it took some time to get there. So I think the thing is like a lot of times I hear stories and it's like, sounds like rainbows and clouds and mm-hmm. you, it's just not the case. It was a process and, um, you know, you have to sacrifice. And so I did and we saved and, uh, and at the first year I consulted for big companies, um, and, you know, supported myself that or us that way. And then I just decided, mm, I think $25,000 sounds like a good amount of money to start. Let's do that. And that's what I did. Did you start working at it while you were at the corporate job? Like start like figuring out what? Very mildly. I started playing around with what the name would be. It was like, I had like three or four. It had a general concept, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it was like very broad and I wasn't completely sure, Um, but I was dabbling with what the concept would be. What did you tell them when you quit? Oh my gosh, that's like a whole... I mean, that's another huge fear that people face, you know, if they are in this job that like they feel self-identified with or that has has really groomed them, they feel indebted. Yeah, and I think you have to understand that it is a business and that while you might feel some type of emotion, especially in big companies, I understand it's different in small companies where it's more of like a family feel, Mm -hmm. but in really big companies, they're going to be fine and you're going to be fine. Like it's just the way it is And, and not to sound cold, but that's just facts it's a number. You're mm-hmm. a number. And, you know, of course it's hard. You, you know, you don't, in my case was a little bit different because I was at, at such a level and I had a team of 20 people to also think about and plan for, which I did all of that before uh, and made sure every, everybody that I was responsible for would be okay. But it was a, it was definitely a process, and I think there was a buildup. There were many conversations, and you know, I think that I was at a point in my career where I knew, okay, it's fine. I was mature enough in my career and where I was to not feel so emotional about it. So, what were your first steps? You were consulting. How many hours were you consulting, and how many were you devoting to building Sunday Forever? And what what did you start with for Sunday Forever? The first year after I wasn't working. Okay, so also I had been working since I'm like thirteen or twelve, whatever <laughs> that illegal age like was. Out of a freaking since, room. since I was five. <laughs> so um, it was wild and. I remember it taking me at least four to six months to like deprogram myself from like corporate robot Ashley. That's a, a, that's another thing. I 
like over the time there, I, I morphed into a person that like I wouldn't even recognize. So I had to like undo that. I was going to therapy probably three days a week. And then I like lived my best housewife life. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. My husband would come home from work and he'd be like, whoa, this is amazing. I'm talking hotel status, mints on the pillows, like mint You're water in the so fridge. Funny it was again. incredible. I it was amazing. And I was like dabbling with Sunday forever. Yeah, I'm going to start a company. Yeah, it's going to be great. And I was like barely doing anything, like <laughs> making mood boards and posting on Instagram. Like, okay, cute. And um, and then consulting, I would do like big projects. So some I, I never did like hourly. I would be like, okay, I'm going to help you do this big branding project. And it would be like a lump sum of money. And then the thing is like, I'm I've had and have so much experience that I could like do these like decks that would take someone a month in like a couple days. So it was nice. Mm -hmm. It was just my second nature. So it was perfect. But then, um, you know, after a year, you're like, oh, I need to like really get going because then I started getting inquiries from people and other companies like about the brand and about Sunday Forever. Yeah, about Sunday Forever. So you were like posting about it, this yeah. mood board, but didn't really know what it was yet? Well, yeah. And then and then I launched, once I launched the robes, that was the first thing I launched. Mm -hmm. So I also during this time, I'm doing a bunch of research. Like I'm on Google like a maniac. I'm figuring out how to like do Squarespace, Photoshop, all the things. I love to learn, like love to learn. Um, so I'm doing that as well and teaching myself everything and get to a place where I finally have a pattern for the robes. I'm like, yes, I make 75 pieces. They're beautiful. I take pictures on my iPhone. I launch the website and then they sell out. <laughs> Where did you even find like the people to make the the robes? Like how did you start mm -hmm. figuring out the right people to hire, to contract, to do certain things for the, the launch? Google, Google, and more Google. Okay. And reaching out, reaching out, reaching out, reaching out. Like, and then finding the right people. So, you know, I can't say enough. Uh, and it's, it's I, I get a lot of DMs or emails asking me like, hey, who's, who's your manufacturer? Who should I use for this, that, and the other thing? And like, I think it's really important to do the work mm -hmm. and do the research so that you can see what it takes to actually make a product. Mm -hmm. Like, until you do it, you have really no idea. So you wanted to start with robes. What was, how long did it take for you to figure out your manufacturer and the a patterns? A year, probably a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A year and a half. Because I have no experience in fashion. I know exactly what I wanted to. I mean, Probably went through 20 plus samples, wow. full, fully made samples. Yeah. So launch with robes mm -hmm. and then you've trickled into candles and perfume. Yep. And what else? Crystals that – anything that I really love, that I really, really use and love and, on a, and use on a daily basis. And – yeah, just like little, like kind of like feel good, comfy, cozy, vibey things that I really like. And, um, and yeah, so after the robes, the candles launched and that was a real labor of love. Um, and I knew exactly what I wanted in terms of scents and, um, how I wanted them to burn and all that stuff. So I had a clear idea. It was 
then just about like execution, which is the hardest part. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, I would order like 25 candles at a time. Like, and I used my dining closet as our warehouse. Oh my God. I know. Wow. I know. And my husband's like, you gotta get this shit out of here. I mean, it's impressive that you were able to even have minimum orders of 25. You have to do a lot of work and be real nice. Yeah. (laughs) And find the right people that will do that for you. And that believe that you will get bigger. So, are you still working with the same manufacturers that you worked with in the beginning? Not with the candles. We moved to early on, we moved to a candle maker out of um, Massachusetts. Hmm. They're amazing. It's a mission based company. They employ female refugees and pay them a fair living wage. So, and the work is beautiful. And the it's a husband and wife that own the company, and they're like lovely people. Um, You know, we've been able to help buy a few of the the women homes for them and their kids. And it's just, I love that. It's cool. I, it's not something that we talk about a lot because it's just something that I think is like the right thing to do Mm -hmm. and that I want to do more of. But, um, but yeah, it's, so that's, that's really cool that we're able to do that. And I want to do more of that. So when you launched, how did you start marketing? Like, how did you start identifying who the consumer was? I feel like you launched before. Like, now it's like the goops of the world and all these people are kind of like creating homey type tchotchke type Mm -hmm. um, brands. How did you understand who your consumer was and how do you continue to learn about her and and serve her? So I I didn't. Um, I, and I still do, like my strategy is I literally make what I like and what I want. And, you know, my close friends are, are like, this is so crazy. You literally took your life and like made it into a brand. And it's true. If you come to my, our apartment and then go to our studio, it's like the same thing. And so I am not precious about the things that we launch in terms of if something doesn't hit, I'm not, I'm like, okay, all good. And knock on wood, that's only happened a few times, but I just like to create. I I like to make and create and make people happy and, um, and make really beautiful things that everyone can have a part of, um, you know, not like a $90 candle. Yeah, for sure. You know? I want to, I think everyone deserves nice things. Candle yeah. really just sets the tone for me, man. Every single morning, Every candle morning. on. Yes. My boyfriend freaks out because I, I literally have like seven candles on at mm-hmm. a time. And when we leave, I sometimes forget one I, is still ooh, on. Don't do that. I know. It's really bad. <laughs> don't do but that. But I really, really love them. So the $98 candles don't work for me because I burn them a week. Yeah. So. Ex- see? Yeah. And it's just, it's not, that's not right. Yeah. It's morally wrong. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> in my opinion. What is your plan with Sunday Forever in the future? My goal for Sunday Forever long term is to um, – uh, I would like to own and live on a baby animal farm <laughs> upstate New York and uh, still run the company and make delightful things, have a small office in New York, and um, that's my goal. Is it going to be Sunday Forever branded? Like, is it an extension of Sunday Forever or is it completely separate? Oh, it could be. There's so many things that I want to do. Because, I mean, to me, Sunday Forever is, like, such a feeling of just, like, bliss. And magic. What is more blissful? Than cuddling baby animals. Yeah. I mean, you tell me. I don't know. Like, create an experiential place where, like, it can be your place and you can invite people to come and, like— I would Hang love out that. with all your animals. That's like our studio. People come to our studio all the time, and I it's just like it. a magical, lovely experience. So 
I want I want the company to get to a place where I can create my dream baby animal farm <laughs> and then we'll just keep going and making people happy. I love it. And making magic. What has been the best piece of advice that you've received that you keep going back to whenever you're having moments of doubt or something doesn't land at Sunday Forever or you're just not getting what you want? What's the best piece of advice? Gratitude. Go go to gratitude. Somebody else has it worse, for sure, 100%. How do you actively practice that? Like, do you write a list? Do no. You, you just think- I think of things. I think of really sad things, actually. I know that seems bleak. No, no. <laughs> but I do. I think of... I think, I think, I mean, you know, you walk the streets of New York City every day and, you know, you see like the world. And, um, and I think that, and you, I mean, turn on the news for two seconds. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you're healthy and you have some clean water and some food and at least like maybe one person that loves you, Mm -hmm. you're good. So I guess now you're kind of like living in your active ingredient and it seems like you're just continuing to evolve in this role that really seems like it's you in a brand. Yeah. And I think um, I wanted to create a dream world. I wanted to recreate my life. So I always think about my life in two parts, like, well, three, you know, Louisiana, First in New York at my previous job and then now at Sunday Forever where it's like my most true and authentic self and like the life that I really think is the one that I'm ready to live. And I created that. And so I think the idea of creating your own reality is possible and I know because I've done it. And I think what's really cool is once you see somebody that's done something, then you know it's possible. So that was beautiful, first of all. Second, what would you say to someone that is in that position that you were in, like currently right now sitting at their desk listening to this podcast? Do something. Do something. Anything. Do something to empower yourself, to teach yourself, to figure out what else is out there. Um, I leaned heavily into podcasts. I I tried to read books, and I, I did, but I am definitely a massive podcast consumer. I mean, early on, like when basically cereal was like the only thing to listen to. I listened to it like 18 times. (laughs) So um, I, it's not a stretch to say that I definitely wouldn't be where I am in terms of business or my own like well-being without discovery. And podcast has been like a huge part of that education for me. And I think whenever I felt stuck, if I did something, anything, read a book, saw my therapist, listen to a learn something, do something to better yourself, you'll feel less stuck. It's a fact. You just will. That's and then DM advice. me and thank me. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say out of all the amazing things that you get to do with Sunday Forever and you're also a dog mom and all the amazing things that are going on in your life? What would you say is your active ingredient right now? I think that I want to continue to show people, uh, anybody, that it's possible to design your life exactly how you want to live it. You, you, You really can. Like, you don't have to do what you think you're supposed to do or what society tells us to do. Whatever you see in your mind, you can make happen. 
And why wouldn't you? Amazing. And what is your literal active ingredient? I ask all of my guests, what's that thing that you need to have, eat, consume, do Mm -hmm. every single day? It could be play with your dogs, anything. Mm -hmm. I mentioned it a little bit before, but I podcast all day long. Okay. Well, now you have to give us some good recommendations aside from active ingredient, though. I will. I will give. I have a whole spreadsheet. So okay, I'll link it. In yeah. The show. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, feed your mind and your soul with the right stuff. So do you feel like you feed your mind? Hundred percent. All day. I don't listen. I barely listen to music. Amazing. Yeah. Where can everyone find you and the brand? So the brand is uh, Sunday Forever on Instagram, and then my personal Instagram is a little boring, but it's Ashley. It is not boring. <laughs> A-S-H-L-I-S-T-O-C-K-T-O-N. Um, it's basically just there for proof of life so that um, <laughs> people know that I'm still in existence. But the real uh, hot content is um, at Ted and Wyatt and Kevin. There's real hot puppy content there. So you're going you to get, get some puppy content. <laughs> Kevin is sitting across from me right now and he's just the cutest thing ever. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank this you. is so much fun. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you can take two seconds of your time to rate and review us, it would really mean the world and help us out a ton. If you guys want more inspiration and quotes from the episode, you can check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.